0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. My name is Nicole Poznov and I'm here with...
1: Gregory Robinson.
0: And today we're interviewing some lovely people from the High Altitude Balloon. Uh, what are your names?
2: Uh, my name is Matthew Svenson. I was the project manager of the uh, High Altitude Balloon initiative this year.
3: And I'm Mohamed Chama, I was one of the assistant managers on the team.
0: Awesome, so what does High Altitude Balloon mission even mean?
3: Uh, Well,
2: the initiative this year was uh, for a altitude balloon, it it goes up to high altitudes, right? So for this particular project, we're going up to about 37 kilometers up in the air.
0: That makes sense. (laughs) And what are you going to do up there?
2: So our goal this year was to try and sample uh, microbial aerosols in the atmosphere. So we had these uh, chambers that were designed to open and close at certain altitudes, and... uh, there would be air flowing across these, these uh, rods that are on these chambers. And so when they were open and exposed to the airflow, uh, they would collect particles for us, right? And uh, we'd then look at these particles uh, after the flight and then analyze them and see what kind of bacteria we
1: were able to collect. So I think I'm the only one here that doesn't have a <laughs> geology background. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I got a few questions for you. So you're yes. saying that there are microbes in the air... Just floating in the air, thirty-nine yes. kilometers above our surface. Well, Potentially, we're not yeah. sure. Potentially, so, yes. so that's what you're trying to find out. Yeah. How? Just out of curiosity, how far up is thirty-nine kilometers? Can you give it in like retro? Like, can you compare it to something else? In Eiffel Towers. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Like, like how? I don't know how far up that is in terms of our atmosphere. Uh, well. Like, I know how long thirty-nine kilometers is. But so, like,
3: so the atmosphere is actually quite large. It, okay. The, There's atmosphere up to several hundred kilometers. Uh, So by going up to 39 kilometers, we're kind of probing the lower stratosphere. Okay. um, Which is, again, it's still a very low pressure environment. The sky up there looks black during the day because the air density is so low. Yeah. Uh, So it kind of feels like you're in space, but there's, again, there's still a lot of atmosphere above you.
0: Okay. What's the temperature's reach up there?
3: Uh, so we measured temperatures of minus fifty degrees. Oh wow. uh, Minus seventy degrees. Yeah. So if you
1: cool. were warm enough, could you? Could a person live up there? Like, could they breathe?
3: Absolutely not. The pressure is way too low. Okay. Um, That's a silly question. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting.
0: Not a geologist.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how 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 tall is like a, like the CN Tower or something? In comparison, would it be like a kilometer up? Or? No idea. That's a good question. Uh, maybe. I don't know. What's the distance between us and How Guelph? many That's football, like, fields? <laughs> like, <visited> football fields? Everything's
0: football
2: fields. That's like in American uh, yards. Kilometers. We're in Canada here. It's like 370 football fields. Yeah, for I guess 400 for football fields straight <laughs> up. <laughs> Something like that.
1: That's a lot of football fields.
3: Yeah, well,
2: it's, it's it's a few,
1: yeah.
3: It takes the balloon about uh, two hours to reach that altitude. And it's, rise, okay. it's rising at around five to seven meters a second, so it's going pretty fast, and it still takes yeah. Like so two if it's
1: hours. two hours to go thirty-seven kilometers, so it's like almost twenty kilometers an hour, pretty much. But like it's changing, yeah. I guess, in speed. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a good way to. It, it does slow yeah.
2: down as the air pressure drops, so the higher it gets, it does slow down a little
1: bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I and think it, it would take like, as a non-geologist here, I, I would think it would take time to like it would gain velocity. Cause like when you start a car, like you start slow and then you get faster.
3: <laughs> well, but I
1: guess in this way, it's just it's all about balloon pressure,
3: right? Yeah. So so there's so there's two major kinds of balloons. There's the hot air balloons and helium balloons. We use helium balloons. Okay. Uh, it's basically when you shove a bunch of helium in this balloon, it wants to get up really quickly because yeah. the rest of the air is pushing it very hard. Right. Roughly speaking, and so, it's so it's
1: like a high pressure, and then the invo- like surrounding is low pressure, essentially. So no, on the surface, reverse.
3: there's a lot of air pressure yeah. that wants to get that helium away. Yeah. So the helium will initially rise very quickly. Okay. And then as the air pressure drops, uh, the helium will kind of settle down a little bit. Interesting. But it'll still keep trying to rise.
1: That is fascinating. My <laughs> mind is being blown right now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So what what exactly do you guys collect up there?
2: So we're collecting uh, these things that are called bioaerosols. So you think about anything that's aerosolized, right? You think about like a really small particle that's floating around in the air, right? Yeah. So this is a really small particle that was living at one point or that has some kind of organic component to it, right?
1: Okay. So things couldn't actually just live in suspension up there, I guess? Well, we don't know. Um, And
2: this is kind of a first step towards uh, a project that could eventually maybe... Uh, tell us more about something like that, right?
0: So what's the importance of this project? Like, is there any health-related problem, like help that this could give us or <laughs> um,
2: Yeah, so currently the, 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 the goal as, as it pertains to medicine is that uh, bioaerosols are often associated with the spread of allergens and diseases. Uh, so a bioaerosol could be a, a particle of pollen, uh, fungus, or bacteria. Right. So in our experiment, we're looking at bacteria specifically and seeing how it changes uh, in terms of its population and in terms of its character, like what kind of bacteria it, it is uh, with changing altitude. So as, we, as we're as we rising up through the atmosphere, we're taking these samples at different altitudes and seeing how much bacteria is there and if it's the same kind of bacteria at the different altitudes.
1: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Where approximately... See, so I know it's 37 kilometers up, but like... Where 39. Approximately 30, 39?
3: Right? Uh, so our uh, balloon honestly. actually went up. 37, 37 Oh, yeah. yeah. Oops. yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Anyways,
1: um, where exactly like did you guys launch it from? And like, is it did it stay in that general area above wherever you launched it from, or did it move a little because the Earth is moving, right? Uh,
3: so we we launched from the Timmins Stratospheric Balloon Base, which is a campaign run by the Canadian Space Agency and CNES, the French Space Agency. Okay. Uh, so they managed like all the France balloons. France's French bases. Space Agency. Yes, Fran- France's French. France's space agency. <laughs> um, uh, so they, they handled all the balloon operations and the retrieval. And we when we launch from there, the balloon will drift around uh, within, I think, like a 50 kilometer radius of the launch site. And then it will land somewhere in the forest and then they go and retrieve it. So. It, it's it's roughly where we launched it from but it's also a certain distance away where they have to take a helicopter and retrieve it
0: so I saw on the Western News that you guys launched something last year and it was found in a random farm kind of far away from where you guys were is that right
2: kind of far yeah yeah
0: so like there's no way you guys can know where this lands right
2: well, there at least for the launch that we did last year, there is a flight prediction software that we were using to try and get a sense as to what kind of path our, our balloon would take once we launched it. Um, and that kind of gave us an idea of where it could end up. But the issue with last year was that at the height of the launch after the balloon burst and our payload started descending was that we lost the GPS signal. So we had essentially no idea where it was going. Like we had an idea where it could, where it could end up, but we had no idea where exactly it was going to be. So we spent like all day searching for it. And we had two other groups go out afterwards to try and search for it and nothing came up. And then because we put our contact information on the exterior of the payload box, like a year later, somebody who went out into their field discovered like some deer chewing at it and <laughs> called the number and was like, hey, I found this payload, this this box said to call the number. Uh, please come pick it up. That and must be a yeah. weird thing to find. Yeah, it was like nine days away from exactly a year to the date that we launched it. So it had been out there for like the entirety of the winter, uh, you know, the fall, and, like, the winter thawing on top of that. So it just survived all that exposure to the elements, and everything was, like, in pristine condition, which was insane.
0: That's awesome.
3: On the voicemail, the guy thought he had found a bomb and was concerned. <laughs> yeah, he was threatening to call the bomb squad, so he said. Uh, uh, "Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, w- the way the pros do it is they, they have tools to simulate the balloon's trajectory, so they actually have a very good idea of the path during the whole flight. Um, and that basically comes from these very complicated weather models that luckily we didn't have to worry about.
1: (laughs) Maybe you should (laughs) have. This may be a silly (laughs) question, but, like, why not? You you said you had a payload in there, right? Why not just put, like, uh, your iPhone in there and just hit find my iPhone? (laughs) What what, what would go wrong with that? So
3: initially that was kind of what we wanted to do. Um, It turns out it's illegal to fly a cell-enabled device above a certain altitude because it interferes with uh, commercial jets and things like that. So you actually can't, you're not allowed to. Interesting. What if it lands in a
0: lake and drowns?
1: (laughs) Wash your iPhone,
0: sorry.
1: (laughs) Couldn't the payload hit somebody then on the way down? That's what we have insurance for. It's oh my gosh!
3: Are you serious? Like, <laughs> so when we launched well, our balloon, we we drove three hours north of London, so that we were in deep in farm country. So the odds of that happening were acceptably very, very low. low. Yeah. Okay. And we we get permits from Nav Canada, and they say, okay, it's totally fine to launch from here. Yeah.
2: So we had to. We were in contact with Nav Canada and Transport Canada to make sure that uh, they knew that we were launching. They knew when we were launching. So yeah. we were in contact with them, uh, thirty minutes and forty-eight hours prior to our launch. So they're able to provide, we provided what's called a no-tap t- no or no-tam, notice to air persons. Okay. Um, so that everybody who was using the nearby airfields knew that there was this uh, 15 meter long uh, balloon flying through the atmosphere in this area.
0: Yeah. So right. don't shoot it down. Well, yeah. Just
2: be aware. right? Don't yeah. hit it. Yeah. yeah. Don't hit it. Watch yeah. out for it. Um,
1: did you guys, like, let people know on the farms? Like, hey, by the way, you could be hit by a box. Be careful. <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> How like fast does it come down? It comes oh. down not too fast, maybe. So
1: it's not just, like, gravity
3: pulling so down. A, it down? It has a parachute, yeah. 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 And it slows okay. it down to maybe a few meters per second. So it lands with a jolt, but not too much to damage the components. You so. could dodge it, so. <laughs> yeah, it's very visible, so, yeah. okay.
0: So this year you guys avoided the complication of not being able to find your balloon at the end, right? Like you guys retrieved it?
3: Yeah, so this year the CSA handled the retrieval. Oh, good. Uh, so like I mentioned, they have a helicopter. They flew out. They didn't lose the GPS signal. Yeah. And the advantage of launching from Timmins is that there's it's quite empty all around. So it doesn't even land in a farm. It lands in, like, wilderness.
0: What other types of complications did you guys run across this year?
3: Uh, well, I guess we could
2: start with... <laughs> The short circuit. Did it
1: did it go well? First of all,
2: yeah. Well, the actual launch itself was a huge success. Yeah. Um. All of the sampling chambers operated as we intended, uh, more or less, except for one, which we kind of had to figure out a solution for in order to make it operate properly. Which I guess we could talk about in a second. Yeah. Um. But I guess one of the major problems was this.
3: Our our main challenge was that we still had quite a lot of work to do when we arrived at the base, Um, and. So we arrived on the base four days before the opening of the launch window. So that's the, the period of time that they want to launch their balloon in. Um, but it was, it was quite rainy for a few days, so our launch got pushed. And that actually helped us a lot to finish building and, and debugging our problems. Um, but yeah, our main challenge was working almost 24-7 to get our payload finished. And every time you try to solve a problem, you know, like six more problems show up that you have to solve along the way. Uh, And, you know, we weren't
2: the only ones in that boat. It seemed like uh, essentially more or less most of the people who were on this gondola with us who were also putting experiments on this gondola were working pretty pretty much 24-7 at the base for
3: all hours pretty much. Yeah, the base was a pretty magical place to work on because uh, it was just filled with, like, other scientists uh, who were working on their stuff, and they had tool sheds and... A lot of just a lot of experience, a lot of tools and knowledge around the base.
2: Yeah, There's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that was accessible to us that we weren't expecting that made our that made our lives a lot easier. Oh yeah. Uh, for example, like uh, like you were saying, the tool shed. Also, there was a high school nearby that let us use their lab to prepare all of our sterile stuff because obviously a big a big problem with this experiment is contamination from biore cells that are already on the ground, right? Yeah. So we had to assemble it in a sterile environment. We had a we were lucky enough to have a local high school that helped us out with that. Um,
0: that's awesome.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Any other problems?
2: <laughs> well, aside from not being as fully assembled as we wanted to when we arrived, uh, there was the issue with uh, electronics not functioning properly. We'll say. Yeah.
3: So, yeah, like what what happened was we had finished building our payload and then we went to integrate it on the gondola. Um, What's the gondola? Right. So the, the gondola is basically the, the ship that goes up with the balloon. okay. And it's like a platform for that held like nine different experiments. So we were just one of those experiments on board. And there was teams from Saskatchewan, from B.C., from Toronto, and they all had built their own experiments as well that were all flying together on the gondola. And the CSA has a system that you need to integrate your payload in with. And it basically just tests that you can, like, talk uh, over their communication system while it's in flight. So we were doing that test and uh, we plugged it in, things turned on, it seemed to be working fine. And then like a few moments later, we could see smoke coming up from our payload and we all kind of freaked out for a moment.
0: Exploded? <laughs> yeah.
3: And what had it happened exploded. was... Uh, it
0: didn't explode. No, it didn't that's explode. That's explode oh, is yeah. a strong it word. It's just, just
3: <laughs> an unfortunate, um, how should we say it? It was a short circuit. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. That's what it was. Right? Yeah, yeah. We we didn't quite secure the wires down as tightly as we should have, and one of the wires got out and caused a little short circuit, and it fried our uh, our Arduino, which, which was our flight computer. computer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but luckily, we bought spares because we expected this to happen. <laughs> 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 we were able to swap it out and build it,
1: rebuild it, and put um, in safety so
2: that wouldn't happen again.
3: Yeah, we did a lot of good last minute engineering too. We came up with some mm-hmm. new designs in it.
1: So are you guys, like, in engineering? Like, have you done backgrounds in that? Or, like, are you in geology and you've just picked things up on the fly? Well, Mo's not a geologist.
2: So, yeah. Okay. So
3: the team is quite large. I'm yeah. a, I'm in the physics and astronomy department. Okay. I'm, I'm in
2: science, and we've got people from other departments working with us as well. So we have, like, a core management team okay. that Mo and I and Alexis, who isn't here right now, are a part of. Alexis' background is electrical and computer engineering and software engineering. And we've got other people who are on the engineering team that have different uh, expertise within engineering, right? Like
1: mechanical engineers. Yeah. Okay. Equipment. So, how many people like work in total on your experiment, working on this?
2: About 19 people, not including people who were advising us and giving us help along the way. Okay. Uh, so, all this whole experiment was based off uh, somebody else's previous work, uh, Noelle Bryan, who did a similar experiment with a different kind of balloon, and we were trying to iterate on her experiment design and then take it the next step. where We could actually analyze the bacteria that we found using this method that she had started developing, we were iterating on it in order to also see if we can increase the sampling resolution and get more particles sampled with our, with our, new, with our new design. Um, okay. She helped advise us the entire, well, quite through, uh, through most of the project, which was really helpful.
1: That's pretty awesome. Have you got yeah. any results back that you can talk about?
2: Uh, we have, well, so the bacteria takes about a month to grow, Oh, okay. it started growing. So, we, so to give you more context for that, you can't just collect particles and then tell exactly what they are. Uh, because there isn't enough of them. You need to let them grow to a point where you can actually determine what the the, uh, character of the bacteria was, and that takes time.
1: Right. So let's assume that these bacteria particles in the air are dead, and you bring it down. Can you get them to come back to life and grow again? Or are you you assuming that they're alive and then... Nicole? (laughs) I'm actually
0: on this uh, team as well. I'm doing part of the biology part, so I can kind of answer that a little bit. Are you one of the 19? Yes, I am, yes. Uh, So it depends if they're dormant or dead. So if they're dormant, then yes, and and depending on what kind of conditions that they can grow in the best. But again, you don't really know what you're going to find. Our best guesses are just based on previous data that Noel collected, so we kind of have ideas of what kind of stuff could be found up there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if it's dead, then probably not. Yeah, then it's just going to be. So you're
1: basically just like culturing it and trying yeah. to see if anything
0: is living. And then living. sequencing yeah. it later to identify yeah. what it is.
2: Okay. That's part of the reason why we had to choose one kind of virus all to analyze for right because you have to choose like a kind of media for it to grow in yeah. that is better for that particular bio era so that the particular yeah. organism right
1: so did you have any like reference material to give you guidance on like what you should assume is up there or
3: um, so in the previous work that we were basing our experiment off of Noel found uh, that each rod collected 500 cells uh, and then uh, so based on that, we we figure we will also pick up a similar number of of living material, and that hopefully some of it is culturable. Um, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. That's also a point of comparison to Noelle's work because she we we use a different method of uh, creating airflow in order to um, s- collect the samples. So with Noelle's uh, method, she had these rods that were coated in, in an adhesive that would uh, collect these particles by impaction, but she had them exposed to the air as the balloon was ascending, all right? So they were on the mm-hmm. exterior of the payload box. We had it on an, on the inside of a box. We had to actively induce airflow through the box. Okay. Right? So we, we were using fans uh, running at a certain speed in order to create uh, airflow that would uh, cause the particles to impact the, on the adhesive on these rods, whereas Noelle is just making it happen passively.
1: Okay. So, so could you turn it on once you get up 37 kilometers then, and then you know it's from that stratosphere part? Yeah, that's yeah. the yeah.
2: idea, is we could see what altitude the balloon was at and okay. then say, okay, we want to sample with this with this chamber and these rods for from, you know... Uh,
1: from this height? Yeah, like from altitude? Yeah. like 10 to 20 kilometers, let's say.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. Okay. So that's when there's different chambers opening at different altitudes. Yeah. Altitudes yeah. yeah. Right?
1: So how how big is your payload?
3: so it, it's about it would fit uh it's not quite it's it not that me big. in football field sizes it's point o o oh yeah it, if it all fits inside like a very large briefcase <laughs> okay, interesting,
1: yeah, yeah. Hmm.
3: And it had four chambers in it, and we could we could control which chamber was open at which altitude um and so we divided those thir- that 37 kilometer altitude into f- roughly four pieces, and we had one chamber open for each one. And then we would close the chamber once it was leaving that altitude, so that it wouldn't contaminate the other chambers.
1: Yeah. And so, what, uh, wh- when exactly did you guys do this? When was like when it was the launch? When did you? Yeah. So get we the we launched.
3: Uh, oh God! End of <laughs> August. <laughs> end of August. That's okay. all a blur.
2: I think it was the 26th.
3: No, so Uh, the launch window opened the 27th. We launched...
2: Oh, no, no, no. That's that's right. Sorry. Yeah. And we launched that Saturday. So So it was the 31st. 31st, Yeah. August 31st. And And how long
0: were you guys in Timmins in total?
3: Two weeks. 13 days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything to do in Timmins other than... Oh, we had a beautiful
3: cottage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't enjoy it much until after the launch. Yeah, because we
2: were too busy. (laughs) We basically just slept there for most of the time
3: that we were there for. But yeah. uh, we would we'd get up some, at six a.m. and then yeah. be back at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> what was had, the like, best part time.
0: of your two weeks in Timmins?
3: I, I uh, loved every second of it. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. such a thrill. Yeah,
2: it was a really cool experience. Um, kind of tough to pick a single best part, because uh, they're all like every every experience that we had up there was awesome for different reasons, right? Like, the experiencing the balloon, uh, the stratospheric balloon base for the first time was really amazing because there was all these really cool experiments happening, different gondolas being assembled. There was, like, this really expensive, like, European Space Agency telescope that was being assembled in the same hangar that we were working in. Um, you know, the place that we stayed at was awesome because it was so, like, uh, such a nice place to be at to go on back to and relax if we had the chance to relax. Um, but, but you yeah, didn't. It was, but, but Well, we <laughs> did. We had a couple <laughs> extra days at After the end that, <laughs> we, were, that we
3: used. Yeah, but definitely the launch was absolutely a highlight. Yeah, the launch itself uh, was amazing. I remember, like, the first two hours of the flight just went by, like, in two seconds.
0: <laughs> and it's already on its way down.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, it was crazy because,
2: like, you know, as, as you you watch it going up and you think, oh, we have to go and open the first chamber, like, now.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was the balloon was launched and it was rising a little faster than we expected. So we were outside watching it go up and then... Uh, we were planning to open our first chamber at two kilometers and we could see that it was already pretty high up so we had to sprint back to the hangar and get back on our laptops.
0: Awesome. So are you guys thinking of doing this next year again?
2: <laughs> Maybe.
0: Maybe. <laughs> um,
2: it's tough to say right now. There's a lot to unpack from this year still and uh, there's a lot of options that we're considering moving forward. Mm. Um, we, there's definitely going to be another balloon launch coming out of Western in the future. Awesome. Um, if someone
0: wants to get involved, how would they?
2: Well, that's still uh, we're still trying to figure out logistically who's going to be managing what at the moment. That's part of the reason why you know it's still kind of up in the air. Um, obviously, I guess mo- more I would be able to tell you about uh, kind of the stuff that's going on. So, you can contact us. Um, yeah, I guess at the moment we don't really have a
1: direct answer for that question. Well, you still have to get some of your results back to you. Yeah, we don't I, have I mean, any of our
3: results just yet.
1: may decide what you're going to be doing in the future, right? Yeah, Yeah,
3: there's there's a few different options we could do. If our results come back looking very promising, then it is actually possible for us to refurbish our payload and fly it again because Mm -hmm. we retrieved it and it was retrieved in fairly good condition. So it it should be relatively easy to launch that again. Um, We might not build a new experiment from scratch if we can't find new people to lead it because we have theses to work on that we have (laughs) been neglecting a little bit. Because um, you're both in grad school here at Western. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: I guess everyone on the team is right. There was not. Oh, uh, there's
3: uh, two or three
0: undergrads on our team. Oh, okay. okay. Mm. Yeah,
2: most, but most the the vast majority are graduate students. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: an undergraduate wrote all of our software actually. Yeah, <laughs> really? Wow. yeah, it was really amazing. Yeah, you
2: do really great work.
3: Yeah, there, there's some. I was really surprised by some of the talent the people on our team had like solving problems last minute, and uh, it was really cool to see.
2: Yeah, like the well, there was a really cool solution that was developed for the problem with one of the actuators that actually opens the chamber it wasn't working, so we had to heat up the uh, the actuators that are on either side of it in order to create a temperature gradient that was big enough across the two of them to yeah. heat up the one that wasn't working.
3: Yeah. So for context, <laughs> we, we open our chambers with these actuators, and they they only operate above minus 10 degrees, and like. We It gets very cold up there, it's minus very, 50 degrees, yeah. so we have to heat them, we put heaters around them. And if the heaters don't work, you can't control the actuators. So our third heater stopped working for some reason, uh, but the other two heaters on either side of it were close enough that we could just blast those heaters and enough heat dissipated into the third uh, actuator and was able to heat it up enough to work, and that was something we had to just come up with on the fly. Like as it was Literally, in the yeah. air? Literally, yeah. As it was oh in my air. gosh. <laughs> <Neat>. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you guys to plan the entire project? Like, when did you guys start working on this? December 2018.
2: Wow. Wow, yeah,
1: that's a while.
3: Yeah, Yeah. we were learning a lot as we went, so our first few designs didn't work, and we had to, a lot of times, restart our designs and rebuild them. Um, Yeah.
0: As everyone, so uh, (laughs) all of our theses is (laughs) too. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, any of you guys use this as a thesis project?
2: No. Nope. Uh, not allowed to? <laughs> That's, yes, correct. That we're not. That's part of uh, the agreement with uh, the collaboration between the Students for Exploration and Development of Space, or SEDS, the Canada chapter, and the CSA, is that this is a project that is in addition to the, our thesis work and does not contribute to any one person's thesis research.
0: But you guys can still publish results, right? Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. We're hoping we can write a paper with some results.
1: Do you guys have, like, a team lead? Is there a leader... For the entire group, or is it everybody just working together?
2: Yeah, so I am the team lead, yeah. so to speak. Then there's the you know Mo and Alexis are the assistant managers, I guess. Uh, and then we are one step below you, essentially. I, I, well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, there's one person <laughs> who has like more th- the most decision-making authority. Okay. And then there are people who manage like the engineering team. Yeah. They have a lead. Science team has a lead. Logistics has a lead. So to help us manage like yeah, you know, it makes sense the booking and you know everything like that. And then Outreach has a lead, which Gavin was.
0: Gavin's our producer today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no way. So yeah. everybody here is on it except me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are the only next one year. here who doesn't know quite what's going on. You wanna bring some weed up next time, let me know. That's my research. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, I know that there is a kind of a funny theme song that you guys played every time something oh, went wrong. I guess so. Do you guys think you could play it for us just as uh, we're <laughs> kinda finishing really the, really the show want now? To. <laughs> A funny yeah, one. some
3: of the problems we had to deal with were so ridiculous, and it kind of felt like a circus. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I we couldn't we couldn't it. get a cir- this thir- circus theme out of our heads.
2: Yeah, so it kind of felt like a circus.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I guess you got to keep it like, keep having fun in some way. Yeah, well, <laughs> you keep laughing.
1: It's been great to have you guys on. If somebody w- wants to learn more information, or maybe join your team next year if you're going to do it again next year? Is there a way they can get in contact with you? Do you have a social media or anything that they can follow? Or?
2: Uh, well, you could follow uh, the Institute for Earth and Space Exploration on Twitter because uh, they are promoting a lot of our stuff. Okay. Uh, you could also just email either me or Mo directly. Um, so uh, We have a web page yeah, as well
3: that lists our, all of our team members and a description of our mission, uh, and there's more emails on there. Do
1: you know the, what the website's called? Somebody here know the website?
3: Uh, I, I think if you Google Western High Altitude Balloon Initiative, you'll find it'll come up. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. My name is Greg. I'm your host, and we have Nicole. Gavin was producing today. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Gradcast Radio. You can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. You can also check us out on GradCast.ca. And you can listen to our episodes every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on CHRW 94.9. If you would like to come on the show as a guest, or if you would like to join our committee to become a host, you can email us at GradCastRadio at gmail.com. We have been talking to the High Altitude Balloon team from the Institute of Earth and Space Exploration. Have a great night.
2: The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.